0: Join the guild and secure your ticket to Scott's sale at the best possible price by visiting MaxLawEvents.com.
1: If somebody hears that you're a good lawyer, that your firm's a good firm, and they call, and that first phone call doesn't go well, they're not going to hire you, or they're going to look around more, or they're certainly not going to hire you for as much as you want them to.
2: Run your law firm the right way. The right way. Yeah. This is the Maximum Lawyer Podcast hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. I'm Jim Hacking.
3: And I'm Tyson Mutrix. Hey Jimmy, how you doing bud? Good Tyson, did you have a good weekend? I did. uh, Didn't do a whole lot, but I got some stuff done around the house. What about you?
2: Sometimes those are the best kind. Yeah, it was sort of a Nor weekend. My daughter Nor had a a school performance on Saturday night, and then she had friends over yesterday, so it's sort of running around with the kids.
3: You know, you're really lucky who you married because Imani's got a ton of talent, and that's where the kids get all this from. They don't, they really don't get it from you, so you're really, really lucky. Well, nor scored
2: four goals on uh, yesterday morning at her soccer game, and I said to everybody there, I said, do you know how many goals I scored in my whole life? Zero.
3: <laughs> that's right, because there's not an ounce of athletic talent in your body. You've got talent in other ways, legal talent, but you don't quite have the athletic talent. But uh, let's uh, get to our guest of the week, Jason Corner. It's a buddy of mine. I actually had the opportunity of trying a federal case with him, a month-long federal case last year. And it's one of these things where a lot of times we don't know which attorneys are good, which attorneys are bad. And I can, I can truly say that Jason is a, a really, really good attorney.
2: Jason Corner is a criminal defense attorney, and he used to be a prosecutor with the Jefferson County Prosecuting Attorney's Office in Hillsboro. And after he worked at the prosecutor's office, he began his criminal defense career with Carl Ward, who's sort of a famous criminal defense attorney down in Washington, Missouri. And while there, he ran the firm's general criminal practice, where he became experienced in defending many different crimes in all parts of Missouri. He's practiced in over 25 counties and more than 35 municipalities in the state of Missouri. He's taught CLEs and he helps teach attorneys how to take DWI cases to trial. So I think we're going to learn a lot today from Jason Corner. Jason, thanks for
1: coming on. Appreciate you guys having me. Looking forward to this.
3: So, Jason, talk a little bit just about your practice in general, how it's comprised, what kind of cases you handle. So, my practice, I've been
1: very, very fortunate that I've been always able to keep my practice 100% criminal. There are times, especially early on for a lot of practices, where you have to take different things to just pay the bills, keep the lights on. My practice kind of built it organically, so it kept overhead very low initially and was able to always just stay focused and do 100% criminal. A lot of DWI work, especially early on, has certainly helped keep those lights on. It's a good area where you can help a lot of people, but the fees are nice also, and that's really helped a lot of people while also growing the practice.
2: Jason, talk a little bit about transitioning from government work into private practice, and then developing your own client base.
1: Yeah, it's a good question. It was really interesting for me. I went into the prosecutor's office. I think, like a lot of people right out of law school, did thinking that that's what I was going to do. That that's where my career was going to be. You know, that that's those are the good guys, and you know that was just the path. And it didn't take long for me there until it became very apparent that wasn't right for me. And it is for many people, but but for me, that wasn't doing for me professionally what I wanted it to do. Switching over to the defense practice side, there's so much more freedom, not just in kind of the day-to-day, but in the way you handle your cases and the cases you choose, um, in the way you go about it. And then, of course, defense attorneys get to live through cross-examination at trial. And prosecutors really don't. You know, it's the rare opportunity when they have a good opportunity to do a cross-examination. And I love cross-examination so much that, it is something that I would change my practice for and you know, essentially did way back when.
3: Jason, so you went to work for a guy that I, I mean, I consider sort of a DWI legend. He's really, really good. He's got a really good reputation. Did that help you build a business whenever you actually left his firm or how did that work? Did you build a business before you left his firm? Talk a little bit about that.
1: So when I worked for, for Carl Ward, it was just, Carl and I there as the only two attorneys at his firm. And I gained a lot of valuable experience working for a small firm. Obviously, prior to starting my own small firm, it was a lot more valuable than if I'd worked at a, at a larger firm where I really was just a lawyer and wasn't really taking care of any any business side of things. Now, I wasn't touching the books when I worked at Carl's office, but I was handling almost all new client intakes. And that's the lifeblood of any firm. We can talk all day long about legal reputations, and skills at trial, but if somebody hears that you're a good lawyer, or that your firm's a good firm, and they call, and that first phone call doesn't go well, they're not gonna hire you, or they're gonna look around more, or they're certainly not gonna hire you for as much as you want them to. So having that experience of working with all of the new client intake phone calls, speaking to people that I'd never talked to before, learning about them, learning about their case, learning about their situation, talking to them about fees, that really was the most invaluable experience that I had when I was working there. And it's something that they don't teach in law school. It's something really that is only taught through, through sales programs that have nothing to do with law. Um, there was kind of on-the-job training for me, and if there was one thing that I can point to from Carl's office that helped me get my own firm, grow my own firm, keep my own firm, it was, of course, the ability to talk to new clients, build trust with new clients quickly, bring them in, speak to them in person, and have them hire you. Because at the end of the day, we are private attorneys. It takes money to keep this working. And especially for criminal defense attorneys, that money has to come from the individuals. It's not coming from insurance companies. It's not coming from corporations. It's coming from individual people. So earning their trust and getting them to hire you is everything, and that all starts with the first call.
2: So Jason, talk to us a little bit about your mindset while you were at Carl's and starting to think about leaving and had that idea to sort of go out completely on your own.
1: So as you said, Carl's office is down in Washington, Missouri, and it's a, it's a wonderful town. I really enjoyed spending my time there. But the entire time I worked for Carl's office, I lived in the St. Louis area and made the commute every day, and it's, it's about 50 minutes each way. So it's not, it's not a killer. There's no traffic involved, but you know, it wears on you over a period of time. So I always knew that I was doing it for the experience and it was well worth it. So when I went down there just having come out of the prosecutor's office, I needed to learn everything about the defense side of the practice. And I'd only handled a few DWI cases in the prosecutor's office with any substance really. So going and learning, especially DWIs from Carl was crucial. He's he's a great teacher. He likes to teach all the attorneys in Missouri as much as he can about DWIs. And I really did take my DWI philosophy from Carl, which is any criminal defense attorney can handle the DWI case. But if you're going to do it, you have to do it right. You know, you can't go halfway on these things. If you're going to take a DWI case, challenge the driver's license side of the case, push on that side of the case. You know, They're separate. It's a completely separate process from the criminal side, but they're all related out of the same set of facts. And you have to challenge all sides of it to really maximize the benefit for your client. And for a lot of people, the driver's license suspension is the most important day-to-day factor as to how a DWI is going to affect their life, and that's the most important thing for them. And you know, something I'll get to in a minute is, I really think that a lot of lawyers don't look enough at a case from the client's perspective. I think that they just look at it from their own perspective. They make their own judgments about what's good for the client. And they don't take the time to sit down and think about what the world looks like from their client's perspective and what their client's looking for and what they value and what their perception is about the process, about you as a lawyer, about the system, and about whether the plea agreement that they may or may not take at the end of the day is right for them.
3: Well, Jason, let's talk a little bit about that then. We'll go a little deeper then. What are some of the things that you've done to alter your practice, to really change your practice from the client's perspective, so that you can help them help them in their day-to-day lives and get them back on the road and move, in, move on with their life? Well, I want to start really basic on this one, and this is something that,
1: I mean, anybody can do. It doesn't even have to be a lawyer, but anybody that works with clients, like I said, to look at it through the client's eyes, I think it's important sometimes to actually put yourself where the client is. So there are times where I will go around to the other side of my desk and sit down in the client chairs. What do they see? You know, what are they looking at when they meet with me? I'm always looking at the other side. I'm looking at the wall behind them because that's where my desk chair looks. But if you take a minute and go and sit in that spot, it can change your perception some. It doesn't even have to start in the office, the waiting room. You know, what does it look like when they're sitting there in the waiting room? What's their experience like in the waiting room of your office? How's the parking when they get to wherever your office is? What's that experience like for them? When they start looking for you, let's say they've been given your name. They're told you're the best. Well, what's the first thing they're going to do anyway? They're going to go and they're going to Google you. Well, what do your Google results look like? Not just what does your website look like, but when they Google you, you know, what are the first five, what are the first 10 things that they see? What are pitfalls there? What are things that might draw their attention away from you? What are things they might like about you? Before they ever step foot in their office, they're judging you and that's them walking through all of this and they're scared. So what can you tell them? briefly online that they might see that might make them feel better before they ever step foot in your office? What might your secretary be able to say to them that might make them feel a little more comfortable when they talk to her on the phone or when they come into the office? You know, then of course yourself, you know, when you're talking to them, you know, how can you put them at ease? My number one goal is always, how can I make this person feel better when they leave my office than they did when they came into the office? Because with what I do, They're scared to death when they come into the office. Sometimes they haven't eaten in a day or two. Sometimes they haven't told their spouse yet. It is just they're in a tough spot. And a lot of what's overlooked, I think, in our industry is helping people through the tough spot, not just getting results in the courtroom six months
3: later.
2: Yeah, Jason, I love the philosophy. I love the idea of thinking it all through from the client's perspective. I know that when Tyson got arrested and he called you that you made him feel much more at ease so
1: We don't like to talk about that too much, Jim. <laughs> no,
3: just funny kidding. Funny.
2: No, Dan Sullivan talks a lot about sort of the, the back of the stage and the front of the stage. And I think that all those things that you talked about, you know, how your website looks, how your parking is, what it looks like from the, the client's chair. I think that's just a great idea of sitting in the client's chair. That is tremendous. So how has your firm grown and what have you learned along the way?
1: Probably one of the most surprising things that I've learned along the way is working with people that work for me, you know, whether it's, whether it's uh, law student interns, you know, I've had an associate, you know, through times in my practice, I don't currently. I've had, uh, you know, of course, different, different receptionists and assistants, picking the right people, working with those people, training those people, having their personality match with yours and the rest of the office it's so important. It takes up so much time, even if you do it right. And if you do it wrong, it takes up even more time. It can just really take a practice sideways, in my opinion. And this is even working within such a small practice where you're talking about two or three people. And you might say, well, that, that's easy. It's not such a big culture, but it's not. Every single person that comes in makes a huge difference when it's only a few people. you know, Their personality can completely change Everything about the firm or the way it's run. And then every person that works for you or that works with you, when they deal with clients, the client it all rolls back to you. It's all about the culture of the firm, it's all about how those people are gonna look at the, the firm and at, at you. You know, if the person that you trust to talk to them doesn't treat them with respect, doesn't treat them well, doesn't call on time. That's all a reflection on you. You might as well have not called them on time or missed the meeting or whatever it is because that's how they feel about it. So the thing that I probably overlooked the most when starting my own practice, building my own practice was how hard it was going to be to hire and manage the right people and also that that it's a skill just like anything else. I have gotten better doing it over time and through experience. And unfortunately, through experience means, you know, through making mistakes, you know, having problems of my own, overlooking things, but they've all made me a better manager and that's made the law firm run a lot more effectively because of it.
3: Jason, hey, we talk a little bit about pricing strategy. Cause I, I know that you are definitely not the cheapest in town. You're probably in the higher end when it comes to, to price wise. And I think that that's important. I think that's the right strategy. Will you talk a little bit about how you came to that strategy and why you charge what you do? Sure. No, that's, I'll use DWIs just as a a
1: good standard. DWIs, there's bargain basement people in town. They'll do your DWI for five to $800. They won't challenge the driver's license side. They'll walk into court one time. They'll take the recommendation offered by the prosecutor. And and that's about that. You know, it's really nothing that a person couldn't do on their own outside of saying, I have an attorney and having somebody to call that's probably not going to do a good job of getting back to you. That's, Never the kind of thing that I was interested in. I'm far too competitive (laughs) to price myself there. And I don't mean just from a price standpoint. I mean, I want to fight cases. I want to push cases. I want to do better than other lawyers. And that takes more time. So uh, kind of, again, going back to interesting things I've learned and mistakes I've made, there was a time in my practice with DWIs where I went to kind of the high end of the DWI pricing. Here in St. Louis, that's usually about $5,000 for a first defense DWI. That's generally regarded as the high end range. And I've charged that to clients before and they paid and that was all well and good. I didn't feel like those clients were walking away feeling like they'd received the value that they wanted from that money. Even though I could get it and even though they paid it and nobody complained about it, there was just a little bit of a different feel that I had during that time period when I was charging that with my clients. I wouldn't say hired gun, it wasn't quite that, but it was just, it was more of a kind of a sterile. Relationship with them. And, you know, I want my clients to feel like they get value from it. That's how you get repeat business. That's how you get re- repeat customers. So, for the majority of my first defense DWI case now, I mean, of course, there's discretion in pricing, aggravating factors like accidents or commercial driver's license, and mitigating factors, younger people, students, you know, people that might need a little bit of a break on price. But generally, I'm in about $3,500 for a first defense DWI now. So I brought my price down actually, which I feel like is a rarity for a lot of people. Usually the prices just go up as they get more experienced, but the $3,500 price points worked really well for me. And the client relationship has changed back to one that I feel better about. I really do feel like my clients feel like they get a lot of value at that price, which is what I want. I want them to feel like, like they're getting what they pay for, you know, and if and whether they're getting it or not, it's more again about perception. It's, you know how do they feel about that price point? Now, can you justify charging it? You know, I've always felt like that's, that's extremely important. It's not just, can I get this money from them? I have always said, if I practice law for one year and I wanted to maximize my profits during one year of practicing law, I would run my firm completely differently, but I'm not. I'm here, I'm in St. Louis, I'm handling criminal defense for the long haul. I'll be doing this for the next 30 years, day in, day out. And I want my clients that I practice with now and help now to appreciate me 10 years down the line, 15 years down the line. I want attorneys like you that I talk to and work with to feel the same way. So there are times when maybe you charge a little less now or maybe you act differently or maybe you give that time to an attorney that has questions or you know, wants to pick your brain about a case. And you give that willingly and freely. And that will all come back over the long haul and just make you a better attorney in general. We're talking
2: today with Jason Corner. He's a criminal defense attorney. He's not a car accident, estate planning, bankruptcy, and criminal defense attorney. He's a criminal defense lawyer. He specializes in criminal defense. And Jason, my next question for you is, even within criminal defense, it sounds like people like Carl have even niched down even further within criminal defense. Have you talked about, or can you talk a little bit about the types of criminal cases that you like the most and the ones that you sort of have started to specialize
1: in? It's a great question, and it really is the way that the the law has gone these days, where it's not just criminal law is enough of a niche anymore. And now we're talking about niches inside of niches. Of course, the DWI practice, DWIs are so specialized that that is a niche of itself. Um, and that is where I focused on to grow the practice. And it's still about half of my practice is DWI law. But since that time, I've really branched out into to more of the higher end defense, more of the the really complex crimes, and you know this is where Tyson and I had an opportunity to try that case together. It was a month long federal trial, like you said and federal court federal defense has been an area that 's always intrigued me because it 's very formal everybody's very on the ball. you have to be good and you have to be prepared to do well up there in the federal courts and, and that 's something i've been working at for. Nine years now. And it's taken almost a full nine years for me to get a comfort level with the federal courts and to feel good about what I do up there and like I can really make a difference because it is difficult. You know, you're dealing with the federal government, you're talking about investigating agencies like the D E A and the FBI, as opposed to something like the, the Sharlac or the Burns Mill Police Departments. You know, these are these are very different types of crimes and it takes a good and invested lawyer to to handle federal law and to make a difference, and I've really enjoyed that, and federal law has become a major niche for me. That's one I planned. One that I didn't plan on as much was handling sex crimes. The defense of sex crimes in and of itself is not exactly what some criminal defense attorneys want to do. It's ugly. You know, They're bad allegations. But what we've seen a lot and what I've seen through my practicing and handling these cases is. They're some of the most defensible cases I've seen in any kind of criminal defense law. The reason for that is it's so easy to make an allegation for somebody. It's so easy to say this happened and then for everybody to jump on board that that happened. The police jump on board, the prosecutor jumps on board, and the defendant's sitting there saying, wait, nobody's heard my side of the story yet. Wait, I have something to say here, too. And they're already charged and in shackles before they even get an opportunity open their mouth about what happened. And that's a very aggressive approach towards a he said, she said kind of crime. And then the punishments on these crimes are extraordinary. I handled a case in federal court in the Western District of Missouri just two weeks ago. My client was facing a thirty year mandatory minimum if he pled guilty or was found guilty of one of the charges against him. Thirty years. And the judge wouldn't even have discretion to go under that number. So when we're talking about penalties like that And the defenses that are available, I have found the defense of sex crimes extremely rewarding. Uh, It's an area where I've done very well simply through investigating the cases, challenging the witnesses, just going through the basics of what criminal defense attorneys are supposed to do. But if you do it and you do it right and you do it every time, it's amazing the results that you can get,
3: especially in that area of law. Jason, I always I like to ask this question because I think it really does sort of, you know, open you up a little bit to really what you're dealing with. So what do you struggle with the most?
1: I still think I have, I've worked on this a lot through my career, but I still think that it's uh, client communication. And it's not so much client communication when I have them on the phone with me or when I have them in my office. You know, that Things always go well in a situation like that. But really, it's when you're working on the other cases or when you're even working on their own case. You know, we talk about it though, you know, when we talk about their perception, their perception of you generally comes through your communication with them. So even if you spend five full days, 40 hours working on a client's case, if they don't know about that or if you haven't communicated what you worked on to them or what you found out or things about that 40 hours, did you really do that for them? You know, from their perspective, you did not. You know, you were off golfing or you know, at happy hours or whatever they think lawyers, you know, really do. But if you're not talking to them about, you know, okay, here are the things that I found, you know, here's what the law says and communicating to them, you know, that perception of from their standpoint of what you've done for them isn't there. So it used to be, you know, just having people call in and trying to get back to them and that system didn't work. Something that I have done at my firm that's made a huge difference is, and I will tell clients this from the very first appointment, the way communication works at the firm is if they have an easy question, they can call in. My receptionist will get the question to me. I'll answer it. She'll get back to them. Usually, you know, it can happen in a couple minutes or an hour, and that's not a big deal. Anything that's more involved or anytime that they just want to have a phone call with me or come into the office and meet with me in person, they can call in and she'll schedule them for a time. And she'll schedule them for 15 minutes if it's on the phone. She'll schedule them for half an hour if it's in the office. But to have it scheduled is such a big deal for me because I can see it there on my calendar. It's a to-do thing. That time is blocked out just for them. I can pull their file ahead of time. I can look it over and review it. I can have it in front of me when I talk to them. It's not a situation where I'm going to call them back and they're not going to be available. And I'm going to leave them a voicemail. and Then they're going to call me back when I'm talking to the next client and we play this frustrating game of phone tag. So that's come a long way. Honestly, if I could, I would meet every client all the time in person. I think it makes all the difference in the world. And especially from first meetings, I always make them come in. There are a few exceptions where I'd let a person hire me just on the phone. I want them to be able to look me in the eye. I want to be able to look them in the eye. I want to start building that trust from the get-go. And that makes communication down the road throughout the case better as well. But client communication is a constant struggle. And you know to do it right and to do it well changes their perception of you as an attorney, and that by itself can make them think you're a good attorney or a bad attorney, regardless of what you can do for them.
2: Jason, those are great suggestions. You're just dealing out great information today. I'm really glad we had you on the call. One thing that I've noticed in talking to Tyson on the criminal defense side of his practice is that it's sort of hard to tell clients' stories because a lot of times people, like you said, are nervous or embarrassed about what they've been charged with, how do you sort of go about testimonials or things like that where you want to be able to tell your clients stories, but they might not be so interested in sort of telling their tale?
1: Well, I, you know, it's, it, it is a struggle. You're right. You know, people don't like to admit that they've, that they've been in my office. You know, people don't, you know, that's not something they want to go really tell their friends about. And, you know, I get the same answer a lot of times when somebody comes to my office and say, how are you doing? I say, well, not really that great like, well, I'm used to hearing that. So, and that translates, all, translates kind of all the way down the line to even when things are over with, it's exactly that. They don't put this behind them and pretend it never happened. Some people just, regardless of the work that you do for them, you're just not going to get a testimonial from them. And that's and that's their choice. You know, I, I understand the realities of the kind of law that I chose and discretion is an incredibly important part of it. So, you know, if that's their choice at the end of the day, then then I'm not going to try to change their mind or convince them out of it. You know, I always take the approach of, you know, testimonials or reviews of any kind is kind of the cherry on top. You know, that's something that they're willing to do that for you. That's such a wonderful thing. And if they say nice things about you, which, fingers crossed, is why you're asking them to do it, and that that they do say the nice things about you, you know, even that much better. But you see kind of it running the gamut from people that just say, no, I'm not really interested in that to people that say, yeah, I'll do it and and never do You see things where people leave kind of a stars rating, you know, uh, just last week, an old client of mine gave me a five-star review on Google, but he didn't say anything, you know, he didn't add anything about, you know, what his case was, or, you know, the deal that we went through or the time that we spent together. And that's a client that I spent a year and a half working on his case. And, you know, we got the outcome we were looking for at the end of the day, but it was a long road there. But still, of course, I was thrilled to just see the five stars from him without him taking any time to, to write anything up. But, you know, it's, All you can do is ask. Uh, Really, at the end of the day, all you can do is ask. You know, usually a good time to ask is right after you get the the good result for them. You know, they feel feel like they want to, you know, help you out or give you something or just, you know, say nice things about you in general. So I think timing is probably the most important thing. If you're talking about one factor that might move the needle a little bit with getting testimonials from a criminal client, it, it would be timing and making it as easy as possible for them. You know, I'll talk to him about it on the phone and then I'll send him an email and the email will have the instructions for how to leave the, the review for kind of where I'm looking for that, it whether it's, you know, on Avvo, uh, whether it is a Google review or you know, whatever it is, or you give them multiple options. But making it as easy as possible for them and doing it at the right time maximizes the chances that they're actually going to leave one.
3: All right, Jason. I am going to be a little selfish here. I, we're going to go a little bit over time because I think you're just dealing out a ton of information. So I'll ask one last question. We'll start to wrap it up unless Jimmy has have another question. But for new attorneys, so people just coming out of law school and for people just starting their own firm, so let's say they're, they're leaving an established firm like you did or leaving government office, whatever it may be, what is one piece of marketing advice you would, you would give those attorneys?
1: Well, uh, check the ego at the door. You know, it's this is a contact sport. You know, you're, <laughs> there are times when you're going to feel on top of the world, but there's a lot of times when you're going to feel like you're not stacking up, like you're not doing what you want to do, especially attorneys that leave big firms. I think it's a real struggle for them, even though that wasn't my experience, having spoken to a lot of attorneys at big firms that were thinking about leaving and then some that did. They're leaving a big firm with a lot of resources, all kinds of technology, servers, all kinds of staff and people, IT departments. And, you know, that's they. a lot of them feel like they kind of deserve that. They did well in law school. You know, they, they went there and they had all those things available to them. And then they feel like they've done well enough that they should go out on their own. And a lot of them feel like when they go out on their own, they should have a lot of those same things. That That's what being a lawyer is. Well, that's not what being a lawyer is. Helping your client is what being a lawyer is. And now the technology that's available to us, and Tyson, I know you in particular are very into the technology aspect of, of what we do, but a laptop and a cell phone can run a law firm these days. You know, it can start all right there, and that's where my firm started, was a laptop and a cell phone and really zero ego and zero pride and just, you know, starting to build the blocks from there and then slowly over time adding resources to the firm. But it's never going to be a big firm. We're never going to have that kind of cash flow to have all the things that a big firm has. But we have a lot more flexibility than that too. So number one thing for young attorneys, check the ego. And when you start your own practice, you haven't earned anything yet. Earn it day by day through your own practice, trading on your own name, not on the name of of a large firm. You'll make your own reputation. Jason, my last question is, are you glad you went out on your own? Best decision I ever made. I can't ever imagine working for someone else or for another company. Again, the freedom that it gives to me uh, in the day to day, but especially the freedom that it gives to me in the way I want to practice law and the kinds of cases I want to take. And once I have those cases and the way that I want to handle those cases, for me, that's everything. That's the most valuable thing for good or for bad. I am a stubborn man. And when I think I see the path forward for a case in my client, I want to follow that path. And that, for me, is the most important thing. So having my own firm is by far the best decision I ever made. It was something I, the way I started my own firm was I had lunch with a with a city judge. And I went into the meeting thinking that I was going to ask him for a referral for working at another law firm. And he, I walked out of that lunch and he'd convinced me to start my own firm. And that's essentially how it happened was I just wanted to come back up to St. Louis. And he said, well, if you're going to do it. Do it on your own and start your own firm and do it now. You're ready. Start trading on your own name. And and that was it. It was the most important decision I've ever made. It was the best decision I ever made. And I think back to that lunch often. And I'm just greatly in debt to that, man.
3: That is a great story to end on. Jason, before we get to our tips on hack of the week, thank you so much for coming on. This is a really awesome. So I got out. A lot more than I thought it would, so this is really good. So, and I know from having conversations from you or with you in the past, I know you've had you've had a lot to offer. So I'm glad you came on. So before we get to our tip of the hack of the week, I do want to remind everyone to go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast, give us a five star review if you do enjoy this podcast. Jimmy, what's your hack of the week? So my hack of the week is
2: a person to follow on Twitter. Her name is Madeline Sklar. She's a Twitter guru. I've heard her on a couple of different podcasts. She has her own podcast. You can find her on Twitter at Madeline, M-A-D-A-L-Y-N, Sklar. If you're thinking about using Twitter more often, I think she's a great resource. And as a matter of fact, she's going to be on our show in a couple of weeks. So I think everyone's going to be real excited to hear her.
3: Yeah, I don't really understand Twitter. So she's going to have to be someone I check out. I'm going to have to listen to her podcast because I'm not, I don't quite get it. I know you love it. And so I'm going to have to check it out to see really what I'm missing out on. But, uh, Jason, we always ask our guests to give a tip of the week. Do you have one for us?
1: I do. There's a book that I always go to when I'm in trial or getting ready for trial. It's it's thick, but it's readable, and I've still not finished it cover to cover. But anything trial-related, civil or criminal, I always turn my attention to McElney's trial notebook. It's M-C-E-L-H-A-N-E-Y, apostrophe S, trial notebook. It's in its fourth edition it's fantastic. It really does a great job of, like I've talked about, looking at things from a juror's perspective, a judge's perspective, the client's perspective, and bringing attorneys back to to what really matters, but doing it through the trial window, which is really such an important thing for most attorneys.
3: Really good book. I also recommend, I don't know if you have this one, it's Mahoney's Relentless Criminal Cross-Examination. He gives a bunch of uh, sample cross-examination questions in there, which are pretty good. So Both those together, I think, are mandatory on the shelf. For my tip of the week, it's actually an app. It is called Record It! with an exclamation point. And it's really cool. You can actually take it and you can record your screen on your phone. Is this for an iPhone? I don't know if they have them for Android devices. But you actually take it and record things on your screen. I'm not really sure there's a limit either. I think you can go as long as you want recording on your screen. So if you want to show someone how to use something on your phone, if you want to show them how to get through... So you can do a training menu for example we use Cloudlex with our firm I can use training videos on how to use the phone app so for, for firm training whatever it may be if you want to show your client something maybe show your client on a map how to get to the office I don't know it could be a variety of things you could do with it but I think it's pretty awesome so check it out it's called Record It alright so that's the that's our, our podcast Jason thanks for coming on Jimmy you have a good week thanks guys thanks Jason no thank you for having me on
1: it's a great time guys